Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today by the athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, welcome to week five. We are fly. We are fly. We are over a third of the way through the season. A third of the way through the season. It is officially fall now everywhere. Even here in Texas, it's getting into the 80s. Uh, okay. It's getting pretty nippy okay. out there. Um, nippy. I'm, I'm starting to feel it. But uh, yeah, the season is indeed flying by. And we've already got three head coaching openings and we've got uh, a lot of unexpected results. Off we go again. Yeah, we, we really do. And this feed has you covered uh, on all of that. The Andy Staples show and friends feed is fully back in action as we are in season. So you can find Max Olson, Sam Khan, more of our pals on this feed throughout the week. I join Andy and Ari for the Friday preview show each week and We've started to have Ari do SAT problems. It is as entertaining as expected. So hopefully we will keep that up. But before we get to those shenanigans, I'm excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We'll break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And if you get thirsty while you're listening to this, feel free to grab a cold one. Um, We're excited later in the show for the happy hour segment. We'll bring in Audrey Snyder, our Penn State writer. But we'll start out, as we always do, with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds. And it's time to move on to the next. Chris, why don't you kick it off? Number one, Jeff Collins fired at Georgia Tech. We are in week five, and again, we have three head coaching openings already, Nebraska, Arizona State, and Georgia Tech. We will get into uh, the Georgia Tech situation a bit later in the show, but this was not a surprise. Collins' tenure has gone nowhere. He hasn't won more than three games in a season. They have had four. Four punts blocked this year, which is crazy. They're two for five on field goals. They have not been competitive at all. The athletic director, Todd uh, Stansbury, also fired. And so one of the more intriguing jobs in the Power Five is open. We will get into that later and whether or not Deion Sanders has a chance. Number two, Kansas is 4-0. Some nice wins over some decent teams if you watch them play, and they are not ranked. This is a travesty. This is about brand-name bias. This is ridiculous. Both the coaches and the AP voters opted against ranking Kansas this week. They have wins, a nice win, tough win on the road at West Virginia. They throttled Houston. And then they beat Duke. Duke is undefeated. Duke is not bad. And they are not ranked. If they were any other team, if they had the name, if they had the name USC, if they had the name Michigan, they had the name Penn State, 
they would be ranked by now, and it is a travesty that they are not. Or if they had a name like Oklahoma, which is still in the top 20 behind Kansas State after losing to Kansas State. I made this point in my 131 rankings and on Twitter, and Oklahoma fans got mad at me. But Oklahoma has not done anything. I think we overreacted to a, a win over a terrible uh, Nebraska team. Kansas has looked very good in its 4-0 start, and um, the Jayhawks deserve some respect, which is not a thing I thought we would be saying four weeks into the season, but here we are. Number three, Texas A&M wide receiver Anaya Smith out for the year with a leg injury suffered against Arkansas. An already struggling Texas A&M offense will now be without its top receiver. Uh, this is going to be the A-chain train, basically, for the rest of the year for the Texas A&M offense. You know, when they lost to Appalachian State, it looked like things could fall apart quickly, but they, re- they rebounded with a win against Miami, somehow came back to win against Arkansas in a, uh, an unlikely victory, and things have righted the ship a little bit. But this is obviously a big loss for an offense that has had its issues. Well, and when the football gods are giving your opponent a field goal that hits the top of the uprights and doesn't go in, they are trying to make some things up to you um, because of a brutal season-ending injury. Yeah, this is this is a big a big loss, and you just hate to have injuries like this to some of the most electric players in college football, especially this early in the season. So that is a huge, huge bummer for, for A&M. Looking at the broader picture here, and by the way, if anyone can hear the squeaking, Red is chiming in. He is... Uh, he, he's got a toy. They had like a set of toys that had like spoof names. So he's, this is a Chewy Vuitton little <laughs> ball that's designed to look like a designer purse. Uh, so that is what he's chewing, just so everyone can picture that at home look, we, as he's we, squeaking. We both have dogs here. Some of you who caught the early edition of the pod last week may have heard uh, me react to a dog last week uh, as well. So yeah, they're, we, they're we, out in force. They're, they're chiming in. on we, we, we are battling through the adversity and the elements here. We, yes, we are. Um, okay. So number four for the power five, according to D one ticker attendance in college football cumulatively is up 5.92% compared to last season. So Basically, what that means is more people are watching, more people are going to games. We know that the TV viewership is up. So people are really into college football this season. Yeah, and that is interesting on top of the attendance or the, the TV rating numbers, which we talked about last week or a couple weeks ago. College football is hot right now, and that's good. You know, in, in a spot where attendance has been declining for two decades now in the sport. You know, it's a positive at this point to see that attendance is up, TV viewership up. Um, you know, obviously the 2020 season kind of tanked everything when it comes to that kind of stuff. Last year, you kind of had it up in the air. Maybe maybe people were slow to come back to it. But, you know, we, we talk frequently on here about how much television kind of runs college football a lot and the role it plays. And for, for that to be up, for attendance to be up, it's only going to strengthen the state of the sport really moving forward. And speaking of the state of the sport, uh, Nicole, you've actually got a piece today. This would be number five. You and Stuart Mandel have a piece today about the future of college football, uh, where it's going to go, who's going to be in charge, how it's going to be organized, if pay- players are going to be paid. Um, and that kind of coincides with a, uh, a a big commissioner's meeting in Chicago this week. So kind of explain what's going on. 
Yeah, so we'll start with the meetings. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, there is college football playoff management meetings, which is the commissioners. And then there is CCA meetings, which is the full group of commissioners. So that is beyond just FBS. That's the FCS commissioners, the Division I commissioners, all of them. Um, so it's just an interesting, like these are their, their, their annual meetings. They meet over by O'Hare airport. They meet at the big 10 office and the playoff meetings, obviously more interesting for, for our listeners because they're trying to figure out and go through the logistics to figure out if they can expand the playoff in time for 2024. And so that's looking at the calendar, figuring out how you'd structure it, our venues available, all the different contracts you have with bowls and with ESPN, all of those pieces there, it's going to take, I think at least another month for them to figure out if this is feasible, but they're going to continue to work through those issues. So I will be staking out these meetings as I so often do once we end this podcast. But in, in general, Stu and I wrote, I, I think it was a very interesting piece. It was just kind of this like broad look at where college football is right now, where it could go. And the two main questions are who should run it and then who should profit off of it. So some of my most interesting conversations in the reporting of this project, which was over a period of months, the landscape was changing with conference realignment, you know, stances on FBS governance, a lot of things, playoff expansion, a lot of things happened from the beginning of thinking about this project to the final version it was. And what, I, I just found it really interesting to talk to people about athlete compensation because there are so many different ways that this could come about, different challenges in different legal areas. And the way that people think about it, the way that people talk about being proactive, unlike they were with NIL, is fascinating. What can you do? How can you do it? Are there ways to do it without having to classify your athletes as employees? Like That's really top of mind for everyone. So I think it's going to just continue to be the main off the field issue that we cover here over the next few years, because you have different lawsuits, you have an NLRB memo, you have an EEOC complaint, you have a number of areas, including Congress, pushing these outside pressure points, pushing the collegiate model to change. And what happens if it is a different financial model? What happens? Like what, what is college sports and, and does it have what everyone got into it to to promote to work for if it's tethered to academics but they are employees and it's employee employer does it still feel like college sports it's like all of those big picture questions i think were really interesting so in many many fascinating conversations over the last few months and tried to just look at this landscape and why different people you know, think that maybe you need like a czar to run the whole sport and then why people think, you know, you got to stay in the NCAA system and, and keep everything tethered and treat football players the same way you treat volleyball players. Just really interesting issues, I think, Chris, and you, you, you cover these off the field issues as well. But this is what people want to talk about. This is like this is the thing in college sports for as much as fans and people want to get excited about realignment potential realignment or divisions or whatever I, on every campus right now everyone is thinking okay what happens if the financial model of college sports changes and what do we do i love that the word czar is still in, in, in use all over the place it's been quite a while since we had one but uh, i just every time i hear that i'm like oh it's a good word it, it's a good <laughs> word now we, we don't need to bring back czars in that kind of sense but um 
It's a fun word. I, 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 I've said this many times, I think on here on Twitter and that they are really trying to figure out how to get players more money without getting outside entities involved to push them more player unionization is an incredibly difficult and, and complicated concept that can't just happen, especially when you have such high turnover in college sports, it, it's very hard for those things to kind of come together. Although that would obviously help. There are administrators who do believe collectively bargaining with some sort of group would make this easier, even if it's not a, a union, but ultimately they're not going to give the people who control the money in college sports are not going to give uh, more to the players unless they are forced to, or unless they find a way to do it, that they can pay them maybe as least, at least amount as possible in some form. Your story goes into various different ways that that could happen, but. Yeah. And, and so just, I'll, I'll toss it out there and then I encourage yeah. you to read it. Cause we spent a lot of time on this, but the the one interesting idea that I hadn't considered until a couple folks mentioned it was this idea of essentially doing NIL, but with your own players. So licensing your own players to represent your school, to represent like the football team and you're paying them, but then they're not being classified as employees um, because you're paying them for their services. It's the same thing as NIL. They're, they're like a brand representative. Um, they're marketing. They are like an endorsement. Like it's, it's an individual relationship and so i thought that was a really interesting one because that was one where folks were saying you know i was asking them well okay so you guys everyone says let's be proactive what could that look like and they were like this might be a way if you license athletes nil through the schools directly so the schools can put money in their pockets but not have but not classify them as employees and change all of the legal um everything that comes with with classifying someone as an employee I thought that was an interesting one because I, I do think that there's it was the one that piqued my interest that I think there's something there and could be something that is proactive instead of waiting to see which of these legal challenges, which lawsuit, which, you know, ruling or whatever it might be forces the model to change. That one I, I thought was really interesting because if you you know, you talk to anyone about NIL, they they say like this would actually be a lot easier and more uh direct if the schools could just do it instead of having right. to use outside third parties collectives and all these things so it kind of would solve all of those problems so i'll just be interested to see what what happens which directions people go as we know it's been so hard to get consensus around anything in college sports so these are ideas these are areas that you know will will potentially force change to the model and then we'll see what happens but there are a lot of people who are talking about it thinking about it in ways that would have been taboo five, 10 years ago. And I know we just said attendance is up, TV viewership is up. So clearly NIL and transfers have not killed the sport by any means or anything like that. I, But I do believe a full-on professionalization model uh, could damage fan interest in the sport. and Because alongside with that comes consolidation at some point among conferences and teams and, and what have you. So there's a lot to dig into it's a very good story recommend everybody check it out looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, and now it's time for our happy hour segment uh, where we have a special guest this week. We have Audrey Snyder, our Penn State writer and all around great person. One of the funniest people I actually know in real life. So very excited to bring Audrey, and this is the segment where we talk about something that is good, something that we are excited about, um, pleasantly surprised. Really, there's there's no rules, but it is a happy hour. So, Audrey, welcome to the show. We're thrilled to have you. Welcome, guys. Thanks for, for such a kind introduction. Well, we are excited to, to talk to you, not just about Penn State football, which I have many questions about, but we're, we're also going to stay on the, the theme of talking about happy things and get your thoughts about seasonal fall beverages, which I know you have very strong feelings about. Um, But Chris, I I wanted to bring Audrey on because Penn State having a run game is a pleasant surprise. Like I am genuinely happy to see a Penn State team that has explosive running backs. And is this something, Chris, that you thought we would see this year? Did you think that this would be the Penn State team that could run the ball? Uh, Look, one of of my funny, one of the best running gags uh, that Audrey has had and other people on the Penn State beat have had is how long Penn State went without a 100-yard rusher. Uh, that has ended this year. Audrey, ex- explain what that was. So essentially, they this goes back to the heading into this season, the last time they had a back rush for 100 yards in a game, you had to go back to the 2020 COVID season when Kevon Lee did so against Michigan. So we're talking like November 2020. It's nuts. Wow. Yeah, so wow. November 2020. So all you know, all last year, I I kind of became the 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 leader of the running back question brigade, and uh, so I kept asking about it and like the importance of getting a back over a hundred and all these things. And there was one point uh, in Spartan Stadium at the end of this season, last you know last regular season game, I asked James Franklin about it. He was quite perturbed with my line of questioning. Got a little uh, little heated there for a moment. And he said, the season isn't over. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, it basically is. And they go to the bowl game. They don't get 100 yards in the bowl game, um, despite looking like, like they might. So it was a thing all offseason. So all offseason, I kept thinking, man, if and when this happens this year, because like it's got to happen, right? Like At some point, this stat has to give. Uh, what am I going to tweet? And of course, because that's, that's what we all think, right? Yes, and of course. So, um, I had it teed up when they went over 100 yards. Nick Singleton, freshman running back, uh, you know, week two against Ohio, goes over 100. And I teed up the gas prices from the last time they had a back rush for 100 yards, which really was just like, it was super jarring because I think gas was, you know, peak COVID, it was like 270. And here it was like 470. And people were like, oh my God, Audrey, stop. But, um, yeah, so that was kind of my bit. And now that now they've done it for three consecutive games, they've had a back rush for 100 yards. And both of them have been freshmen. And that's what people really should be really, really happy about. Okay, so Audrey, how did this happen? Obviously, these are two really, really talented freshmen. Um, it's kind of the the goal when you bring in really highly touted guys. It's like, okay, they're going to be the ones. They're going to break through. They're going to play as freshmen and and do these special things. but how did this happen and like why like what what changed and and how specifically did they do this after years of 
not really being able to run since Saquon Barkley and the offensive line had also been an issue. So this team had been so one dimensional, which then made it harder for Sean Clifford. Like, so how, how did all of this work together and, and happen through five weeks and be actually really effective? I think it starts with having two special running backs and, you know, Penn state, uh, Nick Singleton, Gatorade player of the year, their freshman running back, five-star back, you know, Nick got here in January, as did classmate Katron Allen, uh, who they call Fat Man, which is just a great nickname that I need to know. I need to know more about this. Um, but they both got here in January, and it was kind of like, okay, these guys look good. And everything we kept hearing all spring, all summer was, hey, these guys are really good. And, like, to me, it was almost like the coaching staff was trying to uh, downplay it a little bit and trying to be like, well, you know, they have to do it in a game, or, okay, Nick's really good, but don't forget about Katron. He's really good, too. Um, and so you wondered how much of that was lip service. Yeah, they knew. Both of these guys were really freaking good. Uh, and Penn State, you know, everybody's starting to see that. The last three weeks, the Big Ten Freshman of the Week, last three consecutive weeks, it's gone to a Penn State running back. Uh, it was Nick Singleton the first two weeks, and then this past week, Katron Allen becomes the guy against Central Michigan. And now, Nicole, it's transitioning into my other favorite running back topic, which is who the heck starts? Because now you've got two really talented guys, and it doesn't really matter who starts because the offensive line is playing better. That, that's a big reason why this has happened, too. But also the fact that you've got a back who can break off a huge run, um, and that's been, been super, super important. And then you take that, and then you couple it with, Oh, hey, by the way, Katron Allen can bounce off of people. Like he, the thing that's really impressive with him, he hasn't had a negative, uh, negative run yet this season. He keeps falling forward. He averaged over eight yards per carry this past weekend. Um, so I think it's the running styles coupled with, you know, a, a better offensive line, but you have two backs who really complement each other. And I'm just happy I don't have to keep asking about the next <laughs> time you're going to get a back over 100 yards. I need a new bit now. Well, Audrey, I'm sure James Franklin will love whatever your next bit is. I know the two of you are. <laughs> Always are very, reinvent myself. Yeah, are very close. <laughs> I, 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 big picture question about just like the vibe shift here, because we mm -hmm. saw them losing to Purdue in week one. week one Thursday night. Yeah. And you're thinking James Franklin just signed a big contract, long term contract. This is going to be a disaster. Penn State looks bad again. Now they're. Just outside the top 10, yeah. they can run the ball. Just like beer beer is now being sold at Beaver Stadium. It's you know, going to be a pass season. Be sold. Yep. What, yeah, what, actually, are, what are Audrey, the vibes like at Penn State right now? That it might be, that might have been Audrey's new bit and it's already gone because it got approved. We got it. We'll, we'll help you. But well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you know, Nicole, how many times I wanted to say, wow, beer sales would have been great last year, nine overtimes. <laughs> you know, they're going to stop selling at the end of the third quarter. One have helped for overtimes one through nine. Um, but yeah, beer sales are happening. But no, I mean, the vibes right now, Chris, as, as, as I think the kids say, they're immaculate. Um, it's, it's really like, to me, again, this is a team I picked. I said they would go eight and four. And with that pick, I said, you know what? You were 11 and 11 going back to the start of the 2020 season. Like, I can't give you the benefit of the, of the doubt based off of this. In order for this season to be a success, you need these freshmen to come in and play and play really, really well. Well, right now, they're well on their way to having seven freshmen burn red shirts, which they only had two guys burn red shirts last year. Uh, Five-star quarterback Drew Aller has played in every single game, which no one thought that was going to happen. No, there's not a quarterback controversy. This is still Sean Clifford's team. Um, but it's just been this crazy shift. And I think 
a big part of it, they're plus eight in the turnover margin. Uh, the last two games, they've had eight takeaways. Sean Clifford has only thrown one interception so far this season. It was a big one. It was the pick six against Purdue. Um, but things have turned around, and I think it all goes back to this run game. Sean Clifford is best when you're not asking him to make these big-time throws, these massive plays um, that, quite frankly, I don't think that's his his skill set. And, and I hate to say the term game manager because we hear that all the time, but that's kind of what, what you're asking him to do. If you have a running game that can complement him really well, he doesn't have to force and make all these throws. And we saw it so much the last two years. He was pressing, trying to make the big play, uh, and that's when he was getting himself into a lot of trouble. So, again, I think it all goes back to this run game. And, oh, yeah, the defense is pretty freaking good, too. Like, you have that going for you. Uh, Manny Diaz has been a fantastic hire. Uh, really just a great fit the way things kind of aligned for him here. And there's no turnover chain. Uh, despite me asking if they'd have one, there is not one. Um, but this defense has some swagger, which which you like. I think, you know, covering the team, that makes it fun. But also, like, fans love it. Uh, linebacker Curtis Jacobs now has this massive linebacker U chain uh, that he wore Saturday after the game. And this thing was was huge. And I asked him, like, how heavy it weighed. And he's like, oh, here, go ahead, like, pick it up. This thing had to be, like, 10 pounds. And so now I'm worried, like, this, this kid's going to hurt his neck carrying around this big chain. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I tweeted out some photos of it. it. It was really cool. But I think that's just a good example of kind of the excitement around this team and and the mentality. And I don't know. I, I Clearly, I have to revisit my expectations because – now you could tell me they're a 10-win team. We can make the argument for 11. Um, we're going to see because they've got that stretch coming up, Northwestern this week, then the bye week, and then, oh, yeah, you're going to the big house to play Michigan, then Minnesota for the whiteout, and then Ohio State. So crazy stretch coming up here. But, yeah, Chris, the vibes are immaculate, as they say. Last one for me on, on actual football is sort of what you were just talking about, about resetting expectations. I, I feel like this is the team across the entire landscape where I need to do that the most. Like they are playing differently than I thought that they could. And also the question marks that we had have been answered so far. Like is like I guess you you kind of went through it could be 10 wins it could be 11 but in general why and how does this make us feel different about where Penn State is as a program this season but also just in their continued evolution under James Franklin now here's my point of caution they were 5-0 and last year going into Iowa and then the wheels fell off the wagon Sean Clifford gets hurt PJ must that whole thing right yep yep Northwestern this weekend, then the bye week, very, very much setting up for 5-0 and going into the big house. Uh, so to me, it's like we're still going to learn about this team that's still really, really young, which I think might take people by surprise because they're like, wait, isn't Sean Clifford 24? And he is, um, but still really, really young across the board besides Sean Clifford. And, and yeah, I mean, I think it's it, we're going to learn what this team is about during that stretch. Um, I said it last week, Nicole, when you and I were talking on the radio I was a believer then that I think they could beat Michigan. Um, I'm still, I still think it's a strong possibility. I just, to me, the Big Ten East is going to be really fascinating. Um, but now Minnesota, who knows? So that's kind of where I don't, I don't know how I come up with this new record because I, I can't shift, right? Like I can't just be like, hey, I said eight and four, and now like the game doesn't work like that. I'm not one of those, one of those pick flip floppers. Um, but I, definitely, the expectations for this team are, are much different. 
which I think kind of begs the question of last year, was it really more so because Sean Clifford was hurt that the season fell apart? Um, you know, like it just, to me, the last two years for this program have been so baffling um, that I think we're still, everybody's still kind of a little bit, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're 11 in the AP poll, but let's see what happens. Um, so I'm along for the ride at this point. Last question for me. You seem to think they could contend for the Big Ten East here, obviously, if you think they can beat Michigan and get them in that spot. Uh, but most importantly, do you think they can win the land-grant trophy back? I was not going to get through this pod without bringing up the land-grant trophy with you. For those who don't oh. know, it is the giant – bowling trophy that Michigan State and Penn State play for at the end of the year. It is the most beautiful trophy in all the sports. And it, Audrey and I, it, it has a special place uh, in our hearts. So I, I had is, to ask you about it. It is, it is not beautiful. Yeah, Just Google it. If you're listening, you <laughs> this, uh, if you're driving, pull over and safely Google it. Um, it is just absolutely crazy looking. Um, you know, and that's kind of goes back to the whole thing of like Penn State, Who's their rival? Pitt wants it to be them. The whole series takes a hiatus for this generation. It's not Pitt. It's obviously not Ohio State because of Michigan. So they forced this land-grant trophy on us um, to try and embrace this last game of the season. Then you've got Rutgers and Maryland just kind of blowing in the breeze out there too. Um, yeah, Chris, I, you know, I think after what we saw from Michigan State last weekend, I don't think Penn State has to worry about the land-grant trophy right now. Um, I think it's it's theirs, but again, it's a long season. Um, I'm going to actually have to check and see where, like, you know, where Penn State's going to put it. Because I know when you walk into the football building in the offices, they have all, like, the bowl game trophies and all that. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't ever remember seeing the Land Grant Trophy prominently displayed in the building, which is mm. opportunity. Because yeah. it's maybe so beautiful that they it, need to hide it. I mean, I don't know why every recruit doesn't want a photo shoot with the Land Grant Trophy. <laughs> Um, so Audrey, before we let you go, this, this is a podcast called power hour. We have mm-hmm. lots of segments that are alcohol themed, which I know you are an enthusiast. Um, it is, it is fall. I mean, I'm, I'm yes. looking out the window here in Chicago. It's a feels like 45 degrees. We, Chris, I know it's probably hundred degrees in Texas. So you, you, you do <laughs> not count. You, you remember what it's like to be fall in the Midwest and the Northeast and other parts of the country. So Audrey, you are one of the people you a always have the best decorations for seasonal i'm behind behind. don't put me on the spot with that one i'm behind yep okay all right never mind um but also beverages that adjust to the seasons you are Mm -hmm. a big seasonal uh fall beer person so what are we drinking these days when we are not at a penn state football game well soon you could be drinking at a penn state football game thanks to alcohol sales but i don't think oktoberfest beers are going to be part of their specialty beer lineup um (laughs) for those wondering we don't know what beers they're going to serve but it's looking like a total of five different beers uh three domestics two imports but that's not the question I'm, i'm dodging the question uh so i was actually at an oktoberfest on friday night so that's kind of a it's a really really nice state college event i had some friends in town uh, so we, we went over there, massive bonfire, like just great. It was over at a uh, Tussie mountain at the, at the ski slope, beautiful setting. You can see like the stadium off in the distance. Uh, and so that night I was drinking great lakes, Oktoberfest, which is one of my like favorite fall beers. So I've had a, a good, a good amount of great lakes, Oktoberfest so far um, in my fridge. Currently I've got some specialty beers that I'm, I'm waiting to try. I have got a, uh, Titletown Brewing Company Bent Tuba Oktoberfest, which, not going to lie, part of the appeal for it for me was the can art is immaculate. 
Um, really, really great, great design. But that, of course, is a is a Green Bay beer, which Nicole knows. Sometimes I go on beer runs, uh, which is probably a whole other segment of when you cross borders to get beers that you like in certain states as part of your college football road trips. I, I feel like you book hotels based on this. I it might happen on occasion. It might happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. And that's kind of so like there's certain beers that you can only get in Wisconsin. Uh, New Glarus Brewing Company. I am a huge, huge, huge fan. Yes. I've got Spotted Cow in my fridge right now, by the way. How did you get Spotted yeah, Cow? Yeah. How do you have it? Uh, I think it's a I don't know. Uh, my wife got it. I don't know where she got it. It's a good question. Maybe there's wow. like a underground Spotted Cow circle. connection. You know, it was funny. I was walking in my neighborhood yesterday in State College and uh my, my neighbor, because we, we've talked about this, um, I've really endeared myself to the neighborhood dads uh, with my, my beer selections. And uh, this guy, his family, they just drove in from Wisconsin and brought like 13 cases of spotted cow. And we were talking about it. He's like, yeah, I got this one and that one. And so I'm pretty much running, running a uh, beer exchange throughout the neighborhood now. Um, but I do have Wisconsin Brewing Company, uh, patron St. Oktoberfest that I'm really looking forward to trying. That's one that they talked me into when I was on my beer run. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, Great Lakes Oktoberfest has been has been the one. And a shout out to New Trail Brewing Company in Williamsport. Um, they have a really good Oktoberfest. And their brewer actually went to elementary school with me. Fun fact. <laughs> yep. Wow, it's like a fork in the road, Audrey. You could have become a brewer, a beer brewer, or you could have become a sports writer. You never yeah, know. Yeah, maybe I should have I should have veered uh, veered left, taken the, the road less traveled, right? <laughs> Oh, okay. Wait, last one. I need to clarify. Uh, how how large a suitcase have you packed on a work trip in order to ship beer home to yourself? See, Nicole's trying to get me pulled into headquarters right now. <laughs> okay, or any trip, no, no, not no. a work trip, any trip. No, what, no, I know no, you no, pack a separate suitcase. Yeah, before. no, no. So, so the, the trick is flying on an airline where you have their credit card. So like if I'm going on a work trip and it's like, hey, I'm on Delta or American, both of which I have their credit card, you get a free checked bag. Uh, so that's the trick, but I've got the packing down really, really well. You take those massive, uh, Ziploc bags, like the really, really big ones, um, that I use for my, my seasonal wreaths to keep them nice and tidy in the basement out of, out of season. Um, cause you mentioned my decor, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you use those and then you just package it in there in case something would happen. Um, my, my claim to fame, Nicole, is that I've never had a bottle or a can break open on me on my return trip. Like that's probably that's, that's better than any writing award I could ever win. You're going to jinx it here. I know that's a hundred percent of jinx. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Audrey, it has been a delight. Thank you so much for, for joining power hour. We will definitely have you back as soon as possible. Enjoy Oktoberfest. Enjoy all the beers. Enjoy really running your neighborhood. It sounds like that is one of the main takeaways I have from this conversation. Yeah, no, sounds good. I'll, uh, I'll keep you posted on the Beaver Stadium beer sales as well. That sounds like a very, very happy development. That was Audrey Snyder, Penn State beat writer, beer aficionado. Um, really good insight into what is working with the Nittany Lions so far this season. Uh, now time to, to flip over to things that are not working as we go into our On the Rock segment. It's time to talk it out. There is friction somewhere in the sport because there always is, and we are here to help work through it. We'll start this week with the rocky relationship and just the rockiness in general at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has made a change at both head coach and athletic director. Chris, you are as plugged in as anyone on coaching changes. 
what happened here? Why did Jeff Collins not work at Georgia Tech? The, the most common refrain you hear from people kind of who were around that program is basically Jeff Collins tried to build the brand without building the product first. You know, he came in with big slogans, Waffle House tie-ins, all kinds of stuff that did get some people excited, but ultimately it didn't translate on the field. Recruiting did not go all that well, which was supposed to be one of his big things. He, he was previously the head coach of Temple, Florida defensive coordinator, a really strong recruiter. You come to Atlanta, you take advantage of the, of the location and everything like that. That was the plan. You modernize the program outside of the triple option that it, that they had done for so long under Paul Johnson. And it just, it didn't work at all. Like I mentioned, he didn't win more than three games in a season. Uh, their best player last year, Jameer Gibbs, a running back transferred out to Alabama and just, it kind of wasn't going anywhere. And so they're paying him around $11 million to get out of this because he had a seven year contract when he took over again, they were going to give him time to modernize everything. That's why he had such a long-term deal. And there were, there were some uh, things that went against him that were out of his control. COVID obviously slowed everything down. Uh, for everybody when he's trying to build a program. Uh, as a result, you got super seniors, fifth and sixth year seniors. Everybody got Georgia Tech didn't really have any of those. The transfer portal, if it had come a few years prior, maybe that helps Georgia Tech. We've seen teams like Kansas and others go into the portal with new coaches. Lincoln Riley kind of start to build from there. Georgia Tech couldn't do that. But either way, it just it wasn't working. So they now move forward to what is one of the most, I think it's one of the most interesting jobs in the power five because it's in Atlanta hotbed of recruiting everything you could want there, but there are a lot of challenges that come with this job. The academics are difficult. It's mostly an engineering school. There are some business majors that some kids take, but, but it is pretty tough. And some coaches have mentioned that that hurts. There is a lot of debt within the athletic department, just from facilities projects from a long, long time ago. And as a result, there's a lack of investment in the program facilities are behind they have a new building coming but that's not until like 2025 um, so there are challenges with this job it's in the acc it's not in the sec and so you kind of got to compete with the sec without sec type of money so it kind of sets up an interesting uh, job here yeah and, and georgia's got things rolling right in state um so I, I think it is interesting it also is interesting they made the athletic director change as well you don't always see that and I think that that is it, it makes it, you know, a question as, as we sit here at the end of September, who's going to make this hire? Who's going to decide where Georgia Tech goes from here? But also, I, I don't think we see this enough when people are held accountable for the, the main thing that they're hired to do, which is hire the right coaches. So very interested to see where it goes. And the, I feel like the candidate lists that I've read about this job are kind of all over the place because you even have people mentioning coaches that have option backgrounds, which to your point, hiring Jeff Collins was to go away from that. That was the idea was to modernize, to be more exciting, to have a passing game, right? All of these things that triple option football, which by the way, won quite a lot of games under Paul Johnson. Yeah. Paul Johnson will make sure you know that they did go to an orange bowl. They did win eight, nine games many times. Option football works, but it's been interesting to see folks like Jeff Munkin and Jamie Chadwell on there because obviously Munkin runs the real triple option at Army, but he has talked about different tweaks and what he would do with different types of players. Jamie Chadwell has a really interesting spinoff of option football that he runs at Coastal Carolina. 
So I don't know where they're going to go on this, but I, I guess a lot of people were talking about Deion Sanders. I think his name is going to come up for a number of open jobs for the Power Five jobs. But Chris, what what are your thoughts about if Georgia Tech is the one and and what you make of Deion Sanders as as a coaching candidate? Yeah, real quick. I mean, you mentioned Jeff Mocken. If it, if it was him to get the job, he's not running the Army offense at Georgia Tech. Like, that's just – that's not how exactly it would go. So just keep that in mind. Deion Sanders, look, there are a lot of people who thought this whole thing was a gimmick from the beginning with him coaching. You know, I went to one of his games at Trinity Christian here in Texas when he was a high school assistant coach working with his son. But he's really in this. Like, he, he he's he, he's really into coaching. He's undeniably doing a very good job at Jackson State. You know, again, he flipped the number one recruit in the country last year to Jackson State, Travis Hunter, who was going to Florida State. And he has, I think, an 11 and two season last year. He's three and over four and oh this year. And he's going to get power five interest. He talked to TCU in Arkansas the last couple of years. How far that really went is my understanding, not that far. But at this point, it's kind of undeniable that he's going to be in this position. Is Georgia Tech that spot? I think there are a lot of other jobs he would be more likely for. The the complete mess that was the Prime Prep Academy is something that administrators have brought up many times to me uh, in terms of Dion's background and in, in, in spot in that. A place like Georgia Tech, a high academic place, I don't know if that's going to fit. It is a very different place than Jackson State. But Deion Sanders could go to a lot of places. People wondered if Florida State, if Florida State opened this year, Going back to his alma mater would make a lot of sense. Mike Norvell is now 4-0. They're top 25. It seems unlikely Florida State's going to open this year. The other one is Auburn, which is not open because Auburn somehow beat Missouri last week. <laughs> one, of the, one of the biggest examples of throwing a game away you'll ever see. And, you know, so does, does he, is Deion Sanders interested in going to the SEC, going to Auburn? You know, they, they have an athletic director change too. So you got to kind of figure out who's going to be in charge in a lot of these spots, but you're going to hear Deion Sanders name for a lot of jobs at this point. And it's kind of just undeniable based on what he's done so far. Want to transition here over to Boise state. This is a program that is absolutely fitting of being on the rocks. I was talking to someone earlier in the week, just about, like, what happened? Like, how did this program that used to be the gold standard of non-power conference programs, team success, fall off to this point? They are making an offensive coordinator change in season. Quarterback, as you reported, is exploring a transfer out. Um, you know, I mean, obviously it was never going to stay exactly the way that it was. The sport has changed around it. Other programs have invested and built and hired great coaches. But if, if you had to start with what happened to Boise state, like how do you answer that question? It's very hard to sustain at the group of five level. And the fact that Boise did for two decades between Dan Hawkins, Chris Peterson, Brian Harson is really kind of, unprecedented and incredibly difficult to do when Andy Avalos takes over going into last season, you think oh, this is the natural replacement. He's a former great player. They're a former defense coordinator. He knows the place as well as anybody. They'll be able to keep it going. And it just hasn't worked. They went seven and five last year, the worst season in, in, in two decades there. 
They begin the season with a loss at Oregon State, some really, really bad turnover luck, uh, but they, they were never really in that game. And now they just lost 27-10 to 10 to UTEP, which was a 1-3 team not having a good season. And Tim Plow, the offense coordinator, was fired uh, after the game. He had been there for two years. And he was replaced by Dirk Cutter, the former NFL assistant NFL head coach, whose son is on the team, is a wide receiver. And Dirk had been kind of working as an analyst with the team. So he's being promoted to offense coordinator. And then news breaks. I think Bronco Nation News first reported on, on Monday that uh, Hank Bachmeyer, the four-year starting quarterback, is expected to enter the transfer portal. I was able to confirm that as well, that he intends to enter the portal. As of Monday afternoon, he had not yet officially gone in. He is a graduate transfer, so he can go in right away. It's not a – the transfer windows won't apply to him. But, you know, Bachmeyer got benched in the first game against Oregon State after he threw two interceptions. He has taken every snap since then. But, yeah, they're just really – scrambling there at Boise State right now it, it is just it, it's not working this is now the second year in a row and I've got them outside the top 100 in my 131 rankings which I never thought I'd see for a place like Boise State wow and you know someone made a point to me that like maybe they were the destination and now there are lots of places to go I mean I, I feel like maybe that is an oversimplification of like those elite group of five programs or really just anything with the portal. If you're looking for playing time, you're looking for success. There's a lot of different places you could go. Um, I, I don't know if you think that's oversimplifying, but I do think that there might be a factor that you've had the emergence of other programs, the UCFs, the Cincinnati's and different places since Boise has had its drop off. For, for a long period of time, Boise State was so good at identifying quarterbacks before anybody else. And it basically got to the point where if Boise State offered a quarterback, uh, everybody else took notice. And everybody's like, maybe I need to look deeper into this quarterback because Boise State sees something in him. And, and look at Bachmeyer. His first game, remember, 2019, goes into Florida yeah. State, leads a comeback yeah. victory. He got beat up in that game. He got hit a billion times, which turned out to be almost every game of his career. He the poor kid has taken so many hits and dealt with so many injuries over his career. And yeah, now this year, the, the skill talent isn't what it was last year. Last year was a very veteran team. This year was always going to be kind of a readjustment just based on kind of where the roster is at. And now you're kind of fully going into a new era here. It's going to be a new, new offense coordinator, new quarterback. Um, and they've got, they have to turn it around pretty quickly here. Okay, last Rocky relationship. Let's get into your choice. One of these we can do another week. The Colorado schools or Boston College? We have to talk about the Colorado schools. Okay. The, but the, the non-Air Force Colorado schools, by the way. Air Force, the best program in that state by a long shot. Shout out to the Falcons. Yes. Okay, so things are very, very bad for the other Colorado FBS programs. Colorado, the University of Colorado. No, Colorado University, which is the University of Colorado, but they do see you because that's what the old Big Gate did back in the day. Okay. All right. That's as I was saying it, I I saw the logo and I confused myself. Okay. You've got got O-U-K-U-M-U, but they're all the opposite of what they look like. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, Okay. So Colorado is just so far off from what a respectable power five program is right now, they are getting blown out by everyone. And it's, 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 I don't even know what the right word is to describe it because they are just, they, they look like they don't belong on the field. 
against the teams that they are playing. We've reached historical levels. Colorado State might be one of the worst programs in FBS this season. I'm not really sure where what else to to think i mean and and these poor colorado fans and colorado state fans are probably also rooting for the denver broncos and it's just not a good football season in the state of colorado it it is not colorado 0-4 they've lost every game by at least 25 points brian howell who covers the team looked it up i think it's like the fifth or sixth team power five team to ever do that and it hasn't ever ever it's it's it is bleak it very much looks like an 0-12 season incoming if you just look at the schedule. There's not an FCS game coming up later that you think they could win or something like that. And speaking of coaching changes, everybody's just kind of waiting at this point for Carl Durrell to be fired. And Rick George, the AD, put out a statement a couple weeks ago basically kind of imploring fans to kind of keep supporting him. His buyout would be around $8.5 million, subject to, to an offset. Uh, you know, if you're looking for another job to pop open soon, that's probably it. It's bad. Colorado State, you knew this was going to be a rebuild, um, but you didn't expect it to be this bad. They're they're also 0-4. They just got run off the field like 41 to 10 against Sacramento State, an FCS team. They've got a new coach in Jay Norvell who came from Nevada, did a really good job building up Nevada into a respectable program. And he made the rare jump within the conference he went from one mountain west school to another mountain west school partly because the power five interest that he was hoping for wasn't quite there but also because colorado state has a lot of potential their facilities are gorgeous they've got a lot of money he's he's getting paid a lot more his staff is getting paid a lot more uh but all of their quarterbacks are freshmen so that was going to be an adjustment by the way former colorado state starting quarterback todd sentio is over at james madison now leading them mm. to a three and oh start they probably miss him right now so look i still think jay norvell can do a good job there and can turn colorado state into something he's got a good track record in his career but this looks like a much bigger rebuild than we thought colorado state to me is the worst team in the country were they actually ranked last they were 131. I It wow. was really hard not to put Colorado and Colorado State at 130 and 131. But Hawaii exists. New Mexico State exists. UMass exists. And so the Buffs yeah. are lucky. Yeah. And and listen, I, I'm with you. These programs are in different places. One is a first-year coach clearly walking into a rebuild that is just bigger than we thought. And the other one is in a higher, a higher in a state of a program that is absolutely not working. Um, so very sorry for anyone who lives in the state of Colorado is not an Air Force fan. It is going to be a tough, tough fall. And yeah, those, the, the Denver Broncos, not really that fun to watch either. Okay. It is time to wrap it up and get to our last call segment. This is where we celebrate something that we would buy around and cheers to at the end of the night. It is also, when we would rant about something, if we want to, at the end of the night, whatever, there's no rules. Um, I, we did thank you to a listener come up with the phrase cheers or jeers. So we are going to call it that as well. Um, I am going to go cheers. I have been very positive in this segment so far this season. I'm going to keep that up. Cheers to the transfer quarterbacks who are having second acts. That's Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, Adrian Martinez at Kansas State, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington. These were players that were much maligned at their previous stop, especially let, let's let's zero in on Adrian Martinez. Nebraska 
was very bad while he was there. He threw some really bad interceptions. He fumbled the ball sometimes in really bad moments. A lot of the vitriol during that time was on, was, was directed at Adrian Martinez. I am so happy for him. He got out of what would have been another miserable experience, goes to Kansas State. It's a functioning football program. He's got pieces around him, and he has the game of his life to beat Oklahoma. By the way, one week after Oklahoma just totally trounces Nebraska. I loved when he took a bow at the end. I mean, it was just this incredible accumulation of, of everything he had been through. Michael Penix Jr. has been better than he ever was at Indiana, at Washington, Hendon Hooker and Tennessee are legitimately good. I just love this, these second acts for these players that, that dealt with a lot, some of it fairly, a lot unfairly, and are playing better than they ever did at their original school, which, first of all, I'm sure is very frustrating for Virginia Tech fans and Indiana fans and Nebraska fans. But I'm just so happy for these players after what they went through to get these moments and to have these career games and career seasons um they they just deserve it so cheers cheers to the transfer quarterbacks and the second acts yeah this is what the portal and the new transfer rules are meant to create second chances for guys who maybe need them and they also help boost new programs whereas washington right now without michael Penix jr i don't know he is heisman candidate right now so that that's just been really cool to see and yes as nicole mentioned i know last week we asked for a the opposite of cheers if we were going to get negative in the segment so we got some jeers so cheers and jeers but i've got a cheers as well the university of nevada at las vegas running rebels not the running rebels but unlv is three and one right now they were 2-16 over the last two years. They have made one bowl game since 2001, and it now looks possible that they could make a bowl game. Marcus Arroyo's in his third year at the school, kind of a must-win type of year, and they're doing it. They, they, they blasted North Texas last week, and they beat the defending Mountain West champs Utah State this week. Running back uh, Aiden Robbins had 227 rushing yards against North Texas last week. Uh, Doug Brumfield made some plays at quarterback to beat Utah State. And yeah, UNLV might make a bowl game now because their next two games are New Mexico and San Jose State, and their season ends with Hawaii and Nevada. It is not hard to see three wins out of those four games alone, and that gets you into a bowl game. So keep an eye on UNLV. The Mountain West having a very down year. Almost everybody is not living up to expectations in that conference right now. But UNLV, sneakily playing pretty good. So shout out to the not running rebels. Cheers to UNLV. Cheers to Adrian Martinez, Michael Penix Jr., Hendon Hooker. Um, it's It's been a special season so far in a lot of places. So celebrate it as we get into October and we get deeper into conference play. That will do it for this week's Power Hour. Uh, for Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next Wednesday.